0: Gone Wad. This is Joy. And this is Claire. This is episode 276. This episode is sponsored by 4 Athletics. We have a new campaign out to get our awesome GGW podcast leggings. And I have to say, they're doing this new co-branding program where you can order leggings with your gym and design them. And it's a really quick turnaround time. So we're going to do that for the Girls Gone Wad podcast leggings. And when I got them, I was like, oh my gosh, these are like... You know how we all have like a million pair of black leggings? Well, they have quickly become my go-to leggings. And I really like the design on the calf. I didn't know if I'd love it. And I really,
1: really like it. No, it's just so it's subtle so and lovely. It's
0: so great. So if you guys can support the podcast, we are going to be linking that on all of our social media for the 4 Athletics link directly to our leggings. So if you go to 4 forward slash products, forward slash ggw. This will be the leggings for the Girls Gone Wad podcast, and it will only be up for about a week. So make sure you order those leggings and support the podcast. And if you're a gym owner, you can also go to 4athletics.com and check out their co-branding program for quick turnaround and no hassle ordering and designing for your gym products. So this week on the show, we have Dr. Becky Campbell. She wrote the book, The Thyroid Reset Plan. And sorry, it's a thirty. 30- day thyroid reset plan. And we talked all things thyroid. And um, I'm really excited for this conversation because, you know, Claire and I are kind of on this campaign of bringing on really good people and experts in their field to discuss, I don't know, everything health and wellness instead of just kind of going off the cuff or reading things on Google, because I guess Google isn't always that accurate.
1: (laughs) Turns out, yeah. So um, Becky Campbell is actually a functional medicine doctor um, she has worked in this field for a long long time. She's done seen a lot of different people with a lot of different issues from also healing her own thyroid issues and we just love being able to bring you guys people who are experts in their field on really common things that a lot of us deal with or have questions about or you know see all this information swirling around like thyroid you know eat for your thyroid and here here's all these supplements and do these oils and sleep on your left side and you know <laughs> and all the, all the million different Pieces of information out there, and so hopefully we're trying to just cut through the noise a little bit and bring you guys some experts. She answered pretty much most of this episode is just Q and A from listener questions, so we hope you guys get a lot out of it and get your questions about your thyroid answered.
0: Yeah, and thank you so much for submitting all your questions and for supporting the podcast. And we hope you love this interview with Dr. Becky Campbell. So, um, I think I want to start Becky by I. It's it's funny because when I see a lot of books and information come out, there's a little bit of me that's like, okay, it seems that there is um, kind of like the N equals one thing happening where people are like, oh, this happened to me, and so here I am going to coach people about it, but you're an actual doctor, so Mm -hmm. you have the the combination of A, this happened to me, but you're also a doctor, so dive into the book first and foremost, um, and and tell us a little bit about how you kind of uh, launched your journey onto researching the thyroid.
2: Okay, so I um, was sick myself, you know, I had gained a bunch of weight kind of out of nowhere, which was, you know, no one really likes when that happens. So of course, I got concerned. Um, And it just really quickly happened. And I just started losing a bunch of hair. And I was Abnormally tired. I mean, you know, just in medical school, I like, couldn't stay awake tired. So I knew something was wrong. I got strep throat six times in one year. And
0: how I old were you at to, the time?
2: Probably around 24. So after I got that, and I got penicillin shots every time I got the strep throat. And Right away when I would get the shot for the strep throat, I would literally get a yeast infection that day. That's how strong it was. And I didn't know anything about the gut then. You know, I didn't realize what I was doing to myself. So I think that's kind of when things started to get really bad for me. And, you know, I went around to a lot of different doctors and no one knew what was wrong. They they tested barely anything on my blood. They tested just TSH. Um, which is just a pituitary hormone, not even a thyroid hormone. So my TSH was out of the functional medicine lab range, but it wasn't out of the conventional medicine lab range. So they just told me I was fine. Um, And then they kind of sent me around to different doctors based on my symptoms and everyone kind of came up with the same thing. Like you don't have this raging pathology issue. You're fine. And basically, you know, take um, antidepressants was kind of the final word on that. So So, I knew that So you're starting
0: with like, it seems to me like there's a lot of stories that come out that we talk when we talk to people of like, I went to doctors, and I just couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me type of scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm.
2: So then so basically, they were kind of insinuating it was it was psychological, you know, was I had to be imagining these issues and um, you know, sneak eating or whatever, you know, not being honest about what I was eating. And, you know, I was working out six days a week at that point and um, eating a pretty healthy diet. So I knew it was, there was more to it. And so I finally found a functional medicine practice. I mean, it was more like a, a naturopathic holistic center Um, but they did a thorough, right away, they thought thyroid and they did a much more thorough thyroid panel and I definitely had hypothyroidism. And so they, you know, took me off of gluten and took me off of dairy. And then they started looking at things like my gut to see if I had any gut infections and I had terrible yeast overgrowth and parasites. And I didn't, I had no idea that I had any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had really high cortisol. And I think the weight gain kind of stemmed from, you know, the high cortisol, the the gut issues, the thyroid being out of range. And so then, you know, it it took a while, you know, it took about a year of me doing some pretty, you know, strict protocols and getting serious about, um, you know, what I was putting in my body and, and I got better. So that's when I shifted my focus to really wanting to learn more about this. And I never really intended to be a thyroid specialist. You know, I kind of wanted to work on everything, which I do. Mm -hmm. I work on a lot of different things. But I think just because of my story, people with thyroid issues are naturally drawn to come see me.
0: Sure. And So, so what did you study in medical school? Was there a focus that you studied Well, I first went to chiropractic
2: school. Mm -hmm. That's where I was first. And I actually practiced as a chiropractor for a few years. And then I, that's when I really wanted to not only learn about functional medicine, but I wanted to be a functional medicine practitioner. So then I got a doctorate in natural medicine
0: Got it. and
2: yeah. So then that's, you know, and it just took years of learning other, you know, and chiropractic is already more, um, you know, natural-minded practitioners, right. but it's just kind of took it a step further. Yeah, so it was like a nice overlap.
0: I, yeah, yeah, and
2: it was just what I was really passionate about. So, um, you know, even with chiropractic care, I felt like people, you know, in pain, they're so inflamed, and they really need you to be digging in and figuring out why they're so inflamed. And then they won't need to be getting adjusted all the time, you know, so often, because some people are just getting adjusted three times a week, but they're, they have a terrible diet. And that just didn't really make sense to me.
0: Right. So what do you think is the the main cause? I mean, here's the thing as I think of uh, thyroid, I think of, you know, when I'm reading your book and flipping through your book, I'm thinking, you know, I'm reading through the symptoms, this is probably something that happens to people who are fairly unhealthy or it just feels like this one of the things where it's like, Oh, it probably won't happen to me, but I'm pretty sure that's like mm-hmm. <laughs> totally me just <laughs> doing like the false thinking. But are there certain types of people that are more susceptible to having these issues?
2: Um, you know, I see it in so many people and so many different types of women. It's definitely mostly women. It's about a seven to one ratio of women to men. Um, but I see it in all types of women, really healthy women who take really good care of themselves with diet and exercise and, um, and then people who don't, you know, total opposite end of the spectrum. So it's hard to say it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily like a lifestyle choice type of disease. I, I don't believe okay. I, yeah, I, I think it's more, there is genetic role of course, but that's about, you know, 25% of it. Um, and then it's, you know, picking up things that you, you know, didn't realize, like taking antibiotics, which then starts issues with your gut. And since about 90 to 97 percent of thyroid disease is autoimmune, then the gut plays such a big role because the, the you know, majority of the gut is in or I'm, I'm sorry, the majority of the immune system is in the gut. So it's, it's stuff like that, that people aren't necessarily like sitting around eating junk food all day. They're just, they took an, they took antibiotics a couple rounds of them or something. And that kind of kicked it in or stress, you know, stress plays a huge, huge role in this type of thing. Or, you know, pregnancy, pregnancy is a big trigger for Hashimoto's. So it's really hard to kind of pinpoint what type of person. Would yeah. Get
0: this. And I say that too, because I think the. My first reaction is always something like, oh, that can't happen to me. I'm pretty darn healthy, mm-hmm. which is a stupid way of thinking, which is why probably a lot of people when they go to their doctor, you know, hey, it all checks out. Everyone looks good. Everything looks good. Um, that you would assume that, no, this, this can't happen to me.
2: Right. Yeah. And and honestly, your doctor looks at you the same way. They look at you and they go, you're fine. Right. <laughs> like you're you know you're there's nothing wrong with you on the outside, you look fine, and you know, maybe to you, you know you've gained a few pounds or whatever. But they think of a sick person as someone who just looks terrible. But with thyroid disease, it's a lot of the time you can't really tell by looking at someone they know they know they don't look like they used to. They don't really recognize themselves or what's happening to their body and stuff. But overall, they don't really look like a sick person. So people really brush it off, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it doesn't get the respect it deserves for how bad these people really feel.
0: Okay, so thinking of, you know, in your book you cover all of this, and the book is The 30 Day Thyroid Reset Plan. there are a lot of symptoms in here. What would you say to listeners who are kind of maybe suffering from something that they're like, I can't figure out what's wrong with me. Um, What are the things that you point to when you're trying to uh, figure this out of whether or not it's the thyroid and what can people do to, you know, ask their doctors of um, how to, how to diagnose this? So I think
2: a, a very common symptom is weight gain. Um, most women will say to me, you know, I was, I never had a weight problem. I don't know where this is coming from. I haven't changed my diet and I'm gaining weight. And that's exactly what happened to me. So definitely weight gain, definitely fatigue. Are brain we talking fog. like
0: 10 pounds, 20 pounds? Like how many, cause I, I think of that woman going, well, I've gained five pounds and it's like, I gained five no. pounds in a day. So <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I think, I think when you're getting towards 20, you know, I gained 30, and I was skinny my whole life, and then gained thirty pounds. And it wasn't like I was in my fifties where people ex- for so you know expect that right. for some reason you should just do that. But it was when I was young. I mean, I was in shape. I was I was muscular and fit. I mean, I was I had no reason to gain thirty pounds like that. So it's kind of like that. Sometimes it's a slower progression. I think it depends on the person, but. Typically it's, they're having trouble losing the weight too, even if they start up, you know, an exercise program or diet, they, they just, you know, can't lose weight the way that maybe if they did a diet with their friend, you know, she lost 20 pounds and they lost two, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Hair loss, definitely a lot of, lot of hair loss, hair loss on the outer part of your eyebrow. You know, you see a lot of people with kind of half of an eyebrow and that's a big sign of thyroid disease. You know, constipation is big in thyroid disease. Depression, cold hands and feet is really kind of a big giveaway too, I think. Um, I think those are probably the most common. Anxiety can be common really in hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. And you can kind of actually back or bounce in and out of hyper and hypo symptoms when you have Hashimoto's. So you can Sometimes people are hot all the time. Sometimes they're um, losing weight, but it's more typically someone who's gaining weight.
0: And so for people who uh, maybe they have insurance and they want to go see a doctor, what do they need to do to, I guess, um, move forward with this diagnosis? Or what should they be asking their doctor if they don't have I'm just thinking of everyone who is out there who may not have access to um, a practitioner like yourself, or you know, there's kind of like a whole spectrum of resources for people. So, what would you say would be the starting point?
2: Yeah, so I would ask, and I'm actually going to give you guys a link um, for the show notes that is a, a really cool PDF I put together of all the tests you need to ask for, and then a breakdown of what every single test means and what range you should look for. Okay, so. Yeah, so you want to ask for TSH, you want um, T4 free in total, T3 free in total, reverse T3, and then the antibodies. That's the basics. Okay. But in the, it, I break it down. I mean, into so much detail in in the PDF. So it's it's a really good resource, and if you can you know I have people say they take it to their doctor, or it's in the book too. Sure, but they take the book or they take whatever to their doctor and ask them to test it. The problem is. Is that most general practitioners won't even run that at all? Hmm. They'll run a TSH and they'll run a T4, which is pointless because T4 is the inactive form of thyroid hormone. You really need to be seeing what T3 is doing. Um, but if they so, then they will not run that. And if if they they wait the they wait to see the thyroid numbers you know getting really bad where they before they would even then refer you to an endocrinologist to run the Hashimoto's markers and by that point you by the point that you're you're really losing thyroid hormone you've probably had a lot of destruction if you have Hashimoto's so functional medicine doctors like me I mean I work virtually with people and I test the uh, entire thyroid panel with the antibodies on every single person because some people have no idea. And if you can catch it early with it, when, when it's just the antibodies, you can completely put this disease into remission.
0: Good to know. All right. So are we ready to, to answer some of the list questions? Cause we got a lot of really good ones. And yeah. I just didn't want to yeah. waste any time because there clearly a lot of people are familiar with this and, uh, had some really good questions. So let's start with, I have a question.
1: Okay. I, have- <laughs> I just didn't want to move on too far before we got away from it. So you said that it's seven to one women to men who you Mm -hmm. see with these issues. Why do you think that is?
2: I think that it's because and there's no, you know, concrete reason for sure, but this is what I read and what everyone, you know, most people say is women, you know, the fluctuations in hormones um that women have, you know, with um menstruate you know, puberty and menstruation and then, you know, premenopause and menopause, like our estrogen levels are changing so much and you know, if when you have estrogen, um an increase in estrogen that actually makes the thyroid gland cells more visible to the immune system for attack. You know, so I think that that's probably the main reason why more women to men. I see men, but it's mostly women.
1: That makes sense. We just have more day-to-day variability in our hormones probably as Mm -hmm. well. I was just curious. When you said that, I was like, what the heck?
2: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I have, the I do work with men, but I work with so many women. Sure. And it's mostly thyroid.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but um, I mean, I've even had experiences where I've, you know, you go, I I don't even know how many times in my life I've had my quote unquote thyroid tested. Mm -hmm. Like, and every single time it's the same thing. Well, all your numbers are normal. Like, okay, well, that's, that's, doesn't help me because I still feel like crap or I still have these symptoms or whatever. And you telling me like, well, your numbers are normal. Like doesn't make the symptoms go away. No. And the the range is crazy.
2: The range is so wide; it's ridiculous. Functional yeah. medicine doctors do not use the same range as conventional medicine because if you're waiting on the to hit out of that range, you're going to be pretty sick by the time you figure it out.
1: Well, and, and one thing I've always wondered too is, um, if okay, say that you are in within those ranges, and like say you're even within the ranges that you would say, okay, this is normal. Is it still possible to have um, hormones that are abnormal in relation to each other, or if everything's kind of in the middle, is it like, no, everything's probably still looking good. I've just um, always wondered about that, about like how you need to look at everything in the way that it's all related.
2: Do you mean relating the thyroid hormones, to the sex hormones to the adrenal hormones? Is that what I you're
1: saying? I, yeah. I guess I just mean like when, you know, you get all your quote unquote levels tested mm-hmm. and you get all these things back and it's like, okay, well stand alone you know, all of these numbers might look the same, what do you, are you also looking at the ways that they're relating to one another and not just, Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's why I don't use a blood test for all that stuff. I use a blood test for the thyroid, but I use a dried urine test for the adrenals and sex hormones. Um, and then, you know, the, the testing is so far above what you can find, you know, as far as being thorough And these, like I use the Dutch test is what I use for my adrenal and sex hormone panel. And it's, it's just amazing because it really breaks things down and shows you in relation to each other, what's going on and what could be causing one thing, you know, this could be causing that could be causing that. So you just have to do more thorough testing. And that's the problem. That's why people are so frustrated because they're not being checked thoroughly. Yeah,
1: totally. I can relate. It's it's frustrating. It (laughs) is. Go ahead and dive in. Okay, cool.
0: We got some great questions from listeners. So thank you, everyone who submitted. This was uh, through Instagram. The first one is, uh, what about those without a thyroid at all? Um, Thyroid cancer for her is what she says, that are med dependent. Well, what is she asking? Um, I think she just, I think our, we just want, she wanted to know what should she be doing Like Um, what's
2: her out, like what's, what does her future look like kind of, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I have a lot of patients who've, who've had their thyroid removed um, prior to seeing me. And I think that the thing is, is when you're, you know, yes, you're then going to have to be on medication most likely, unless they only take part of your thyroid, but most of the time they take the whole thing. Um, But so yes, you'll have to be on medication, but if you can still look at those, those things that I list in the book, these seven triggers like the gut health and the adrenals and the sex hormones and nutrient deficiencies and all of this stuff, you'll have the best possibilities of of feeling good and going on with life without a, a problem. So it's, it's you know, yes, it's, it's much harder that way, but I have so many patients who they feel great. I mean, they feel just like they did before they even realized there was an issue, um, just because they're taking such good care of their health through diet and everything I mentioned. And, and that just gives them the best kind of possibility for what they can expect to feel.
0: Okay. Uh, next one is, is Hashimoto's always really the cause of a hypo-hyperthyroid? Hypo slash hyper. No.
2: No. Um, Hashimoto's is the, is the biggest cause of hypothyroidism. Um, there's other causes- you know, there's, it can be caused from, um, pregnancy. It can be caused from iodine deficiency. You know, there's other causes, but Hashimoto's is, is the most common cause. And it's, it would be hypothyroidism that it caused. If it's autoimmune and it's hyperthyroidism, then that would be Gray's disease.
0: Uh, how hard is it to have a healthy thyroid when bad thyroid runs super strong in your genetics? So genetics play about a 25%
2: role in what's going to happen with your health. So if you're doing everything, yeah, pretty much. Um, So if you're, you know, doing everything else that you, the, the whole reason I made this book is because I wanted to make something that people that everybody could do. And it's a lot of stuff that you can implement that can keep you really healthy. If you can't afford to go work with somebody on all this stuff, because it can be expensive. So If, um, you know, if you have that strong genetic, like everyone in your family has it, but you take really, really good care of your health you, you know, eat really healthy foods, you're exercising, you're getting enough sleep, you're doing stress reduction methods, you're not using cosmetics full of toxins, um, you're taking care of your gut health, you're gonna, most likely, you can still keep this really at bay.
0: Good, good, good. I, about the cosmetics, how much does that play into, I guess, just daily health? Because c- should all of us be avoiding that? I, I hear so many mis- mixed messages.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I mean, kind can- your skin is the biggest organ. So think about it. If you're putting chemicals on your skin, it's being absorbed right into your body and it's definitely going to affect your body. And the biggest thing I see happen is your estrogen levels raise. And when your estrogen levels raise, you are tired, you're gaining weight, you're, you know, all these same symptoms pretty much as, as what people describe thyroid disease. Um, so, you know, some people are better at pushing toxins out than others. So it's not going to affect everyone the exact same way, but I do think that everyone should not use cosmetics um, or perfumes, any of that that has these chemicals, because it it is hard on your body whether you even feel it or not. Um, and then as far as perfume goes i talk about this a lot and it's not to make people feel bad at all about wearing perfume it's to really just to educate people because it can really have an effect not only on your body but other people around you like some people get very very sick from even smelling perfume because it's just it has, there's a lot of chemicals in it so if you are you know trying to figure out what how to get your thyroid better and you can't get your numbers good and you're eating right and you're doing all these things, but you're putting on perfume and lotion that's full of chemicals and your shampoo and conditioner and your makeup and your skincare. Like think of how many things we put on our body and your body's having to absorb all of those those toxic chemicals, that's going to be very hard to get fully
1: better. So we ha- hear this line a lot. Your skin is your biggest organ. You know, it's going to absorb everything you put on it. It's going to absorb, you know, I-, I was listening to someone this weekend go so far as to say, like, get in the bathtub with your tea because your skin will absorb all of your, all of like the herbs from your tea. The thing I am just, I just have a hard time with that um, concept is like, you know, I'm not using... There's no market for, like, multivitamin lotion. and There is. There's is some, there is
2: magnesium lotion. Yeah, people do use... There's actually a lot of liposomal um, creams now because your skin absorbs them. I mean, even people who do hormone replacement therapy put it on on their skin. So yeah, I
1: mean, I guess I thought of, like, patches, you know, for things. But mm-hmm. I... I don't know. Maybe I just don't, I I never use any really type of cosmetics. And so maybe I just don't see it as much, but I've always kind of wondered like from an actual medical perspective, is there a lot of truth to that? Or is it really just certain substances that we need to be worrying about?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's the certain types of, um, the certain types of chemicals and products. I think that, um, like I said, I think some people push toxins out as quick as they get into their body. They're very good at methylation and their liver, you know, is, is function is very good and they, they they just don't have such a problem with it. And then some people aren't like that. Some people can't stand anything with any type of chemicals entering their body. They can't get rid of it. It builds up. It causes a lot of problems. But there is definitely research that does show that cosmetics and the chemicals in them are a problem. And I think you see so many companies now who are trying to get these these out of their products because people are learning about them, and they're saying, "I don't want to use any products with this stuff in it." so everyone's trying to kind of um, conform to make sure that you know they're not carrying these these different types of chemicals in it that are going to cause people not to buy their products anymore.
1: Also, at the end of the day, it probably can't hurt to cut out more toxins. Right. Yeah, I
2: mean, why not? Maybe maybe you don't know for sure what it's doing to you, but if there are clean options and there are are really you know, options that are full with a lot of stuff that is known to be harmful, why not just just to right. cut it out, you know.
0: <laughs> where, where, like, what kind of resources can we look up to see what products are the most harmful? Like, is, are there studies that are showing, like, hey, this is the type of um, substance that you really should avoid, or you know, something that's yeah. kind of like more research-based that um, people can kind of look up for themselves too.
2: So the Environmental Working Group is a really great organization that has done um, kind of the homework for you. And you can type in any product that you have, and they don't have all products in their system, but and it will literally list every single ingredient and the level of toxicity and why it's a problem and what it can cause in your body. So that's kind of where I always lead people. Oh,
0: great. That's Environmental <laughs> Research Group.
2: It's in the Environmental Working Group. Oh, people working. Call EWG. Okay. Yeah. And they have an app. They, they have a, um, there's another app called Think Dirty. And I literally will go into the store <laughs> and scan things with this app. And it really breaks it down for you. So it's not just like the trendy thing where people are, you know, just saying, oh, don't do this, don't do that. It's actually, they're really explaining to you why. Oh,
1: cool. And
2: it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's an amazing website. You'll love it. Great.
0: Cool. Okay. What dietary guidelines work for hypothyroid person with no autoimmune issues? People ask me a lot about keto
2: um, and intermittent fasting and that type of thing. And I think that there's there's definitely no one diet for everybody, um, for sure. Can you, can you but, repeat that
0: like a thousand times? Because everyone thinks that there's like <laughs> right. a bandwagon that we're all jumping on and riding into yeah. oblivion.
2: Yeah, there's definitely no one diet for everybody. I think that keto is amazing for some people. I think it's you know made helped some people with terrible issues and, and changed their quality of life. And then I think that it's really detrimental to some people. Um, and it's just depends on the person. So typically what I see is a paleo type of diet. So where it's, you know, um, you know, lean meats that are organic and grass fed, if, um, that's an option and, um, you know, no hormones and antibiotics added, which makes sense really for anybody and, you know, organic fruits and vegetables when organic is necessary. I have the clean 15 and the dirty dozen listed in the book. So stuff that you need to buy organics, it's, you know, known to have the most pesticides on it and then stuff that is, should be fine. Um, healthy fats, you know, which I think, again, most people do well with all of these things, um, healthy fats. And then, you know, for what I noticed with autoimmune disease and people just in general who are having an issue with their health, I know what I noticed with my patients is they tend to do better without grains. Some people don't want to give up grains, and so we'll kind of go through what type of grains might be best for them. But most of my patients do give up grains, and they're mostly okay with it because there's there so many options now you know with with the cassava flour and almond flour and coconut flour i mean you can literally make anything mm-hmm. any kind of carby food with that that would seem like you're eating grains and you're not and it's and it's not like a like a gluten-free product that's full of crap it's like actually really healthy food so most people don't have a problem with that um most thyroid patients tend to need a little bit of um carbs not necessarily a high carb diet but don't typically do well on a real low carb diet because the conversion of T4 to T3 which is a very important process to have healthy amounts of thyroid hormones um it's it's a you really need um some carbs for that so some people are okay doing keto with thyroid but thyroid issues but most people are better off and more of just like a paleo type of diet with like a mod- moderate carb intake.
0: Cool. So this kind of parlays into the next question. Uh, someone said, seems to be very conflicting information on carb versus no carb when healing discussed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I've, I've know that whenever I start patients off, I start them off with what I have put in the book and people tend to do really, really well those first four weeks, which is why I made this book. And then if I find out that they have any gut infections, I have to take away, not completely, but I have to really reduce their carbs while we're working on that. Mm. And that's when I'll start to see people regress a little bit. Like their hair might start to fall out. They might start to get really tired. So I just tend to notice that they just do a little bit better
0: with carbs, or actually a lot better with carbs. A lot better. Okay. So much information out there on thyroid support, where to start. And I think this might be just kind of like a basic understanding of of where to start with it? I I think she's
2: probably um, asking about maybe supplementation. That would be my guess. So it depends. If you're not on thyroid medication, I will tend to put people on some type of thyroid glandular. I really like Dr. Ron's um, thyroid and liver supplement and if they do not have high iron because it can raise iron levels. So there are supplements like that. It typically um, really can help keep your numbers in range really well. But if you are on medication, sometimes you you don't want to mess with both. So then you need to start thinking about um, typically with thyroid issues, selenium is, uh, can be a big deficiency and selenium is very important again for that conversion of T4 to T3. But I do give a list of selenium foods in the book because you don't have to take a supplement for that. I mean, you can eat Brazil nuts are full of selenium. Um, eggs are, you know, or, you know, organ meats are really, really high in selenium, but some people hate organ meats. So, um, you know, but there's a lot of different foods, sardines, spinach, so that um, zinc is a very important nutrient for the thyroid, um, you know, vitamin C is very good just to support the immune system. Zinc also supports the immune system. And again, so many people with thyroid issues have the autoimmune disease Hashimoto's. So you really want to be supporting the immune system. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, just eating a really nutrient rich diet and not having to take a ton of supplements really is... What I kind of try to do with
0: people. Yeah, well, I walk through the aisles of Whole Foods and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much out here that I need, and I don't need <laughs> any of it. But it's just, why is it so tempting to walk through the aisles and just <laughs> buy everything and be like, okay, I'm gonna just pump myself full of supplements and then feel like Superwoman?
1: And you're like, yeah, this is the one that's gonna way. change my life, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right. If I, if I just take this one thing, my whole life will be different. Like, in your miss. cabinet is full. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, yeah, bad. Totally. it's so bad.
0: So <laughs> bad. I know. Uh, how do I know if I have a thyroid issue? What are the symptoms? We talked a little bit about that. Is there anything else further you kind of want to expand on as far as what people should be looking for or paying attention to?
2: I think just feelings off, you know, feeling like something's wrong. If you suddenly feel like something's wrong, it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just asking for thorough testing to rule out a thyroid issue if, you know, your symptoms are different than the ones that we named, but you feel off you know, the thyroid controls almost everything in the body. So you could have so many different symptoms that can be thyroid related. I literally couldn't even sit here and name them all. So I think that the thyroid is always a very good place to start. You know, a thorough thyroid panel is a good place to start.
0: Is intermittent fasting a bad choice for someone with hypothyroidism?
2: Um, I tend to notice that people do not do well with intermittent fasting. They do need to be, when with uh, hypothyroidism, they do tend to need to eat more often. I think it's great for people with diabetes, but for thyroid issues, not usually. Some this... people, again, though, they can do it and they're fine. How
0: about just people in in general, I, I don't intermittent fast. I don't subscribe to any, anything except eating good food, but I, um, I hear a lot of people jumping on that train as well and it drives me nuts, but do you have a, a strong opinion about intermittent fasting just in general for women specifically?
2: I have not ever put someone on intermittent fasting and they've done well. So I don't put anyone on intermittent fasting. I personally would die if I did it because I eat every two hours. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I it's not something I use in my practice. Um, but I know that some people with diabetes do really well with intermittent fasting because it really helps to control their blood sugar levels and they feel really good that way. So I'm not for it or against it. I'm for what your body does well with and that's going to be different for everybody.
0: Uh, Someone asked about postpartum thyroid issues. What do I need to watch for if the, if it's any different from what you described earlier?
2: Yeah, not any different, the same thing. And when you're pregnant, you're getting your thyroid checked a lot because it's very important to have optimal thyroid hormone levels when you have a baby in your body. So um, they'll be checking for it. But again, you want to make sure that you're getting the light right um, lab tests done and the right ranges um, looked at. So just download that guide and you'll you'll see what you should ask for.
0: Uh, someone asked how to interpret lab results when conventional medicine deems them in range. Um, would that be something again, going back to just asking for more panels of blood work? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: you want to you want to go ask for more panels, and you want to use the lab ranges I list in the guide. I mean, I could go through them all now if you want me to, but it's easy just to download the guide and yeah, then you I'll have just it. we can like just post the guide.
0: Yeah, we'll post the guide, and I think that'll be easier. But I think that too that um, what you know, what she's asking is kind of like, well, they're deeming in the rage, but I think it comes back to what you said before of like, just listen to what your body is telling you. If you're feeling sick, if you're feeling off, you're like, trust your body, you're an expert on your body,
2: right? And if and the ranges that they're looking at, aren't the right ranges too. So they're gonna say if your TSH is a four, they're gonna say no, you don't have hypothyroidism, but I'm gonna say you do. So it's about looking at the ranges correctly, and looking at a more narrow range and exactly listen to your body. And it might not be a thyroid issue. I mean, you can feel terrible and have just adrenal issues mm. that haven't affected the thyroid yet. So it might, it doesn't mean it always leads back to the thyroid. Okay. but there's, you just have to work with someone who will help you, who will keep searching for what's going on with you. If you know that something's wrong.
0: So I have a, a question just about prevention and I'm 41 years old I'm relatively healthy. Is there something that you would tell me to do to, Whoa, sorry. We just got a huge thing of thunder. Did you hear that? <laughs> wow. I did. Yeah. <laughs> we had like a lightning and it just thundered so loud and it, Totally. I I took wanted, me, like, wind. It totally took me off guard because I was not <laughs> expecting a thunderstorm this afternoon and now I'm worried that my dog's freaking out. Aww. Anyway, um, so I'm forty one years old and pretty healthy. I don't feel like I have any issues, but is there anything that I should be doing from a preventative standpoint to keep myself healthy?
2: I think that stress reduction techniques are the number one thing that everyone should be doing. Dang it. And I was I- afraid you were gonna say that. <laughs> I know it's hard to commit to and I don't teach them. So I'm not like plugging myself here. It's, it's really something that I don't do, but I mean, I do it for myself, but I, 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 always, you know, give patients, um, you know, links to things they need to look up or programs they should try or something because stress is literally the root of every problem I feel like. And if you're everything else is good, but you're really stressed out and you're not reducing that stress in any way, you're going to get sick. I mean, you're going to get some kind of problem. You're going to definitely get high cortisol, you know, high cortisol can lead to thyroid issues. So I think that that is the number one thing you can do. And also being very conscious of what you're putting in your body.
1: What are some of your favorite stress reduction techniques to recommend? Yeah. What do you do every day? I,
2: I just did a program called Ziva online. Emily Fletcher, I think is her name. She's great. She's she makes it like fun and uh, and kind of funny actually. But um, she teaches you mindfulness at first, and then she teaches you meditation. Which I've only done mindfulness up until this point. I've done a lot of like the apps and I've read books and stuff. Um, but she teaches you meditation, and one of the things that she teaches you that I think is really really important is not to pressure yourself to be like a perfect meditator. You know, if you have an itch, scratch it. If you, you know, want to know what time it is, look at your watch. Like, you don't have, I know mean, if you have a thought, don't be like worked out that you're not meditating properly. And once I started kind of following that method, it became a lot easier. Um, so I would really recommend that or just, you know, there's a million apps right now for yeah, there's mindfulness there's a lot of good apps.
0: There's a lot of good yeah. apps. I think um, if anyone can do a DBT course as dialectical like behavioral therapy, whether you do it online or with a therapist, that's a really helpful curriculum. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I know someone who just went through like a year DBT program. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could Mm -hmm. could extend it forever and ever and ever Um, Mm -hmm. and do it over and over again and still get more out of it. It's pretty uh, dense. Stress reduction is, it's so funny when you said that because- I consider myself someone who's like pretty, I got my stress at bay, but I just, I'm like, I don't want to do more stress reduction. I know. But you, <laughs> but you know I, what? I know We're... it's, I know it's a helpful thing. I know it would add a lot to my life. I just, I don't know why I have so much darn resistance to it.
2: A lot of people do. So do I. I still do. Like, I still, I'm like, oh, I don't want to meditate. But then I do after and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I just took the world's best nap. Yeah. And I did. it. took 10 minutes. But even even um, getting outside like in the fresh air mm-hmm. and socializing you know things like that whatever brings you joy I think is is also a really good stress reduction technique yeah. too
0: yeah that's true it doesn't always have to be kind of like sitting and meditating although I know that that has huge value and again it does one day <laughs> one day I will, commit to it or, or maybe I'll just dabble like I don't need to just jump in the deep end because you know why not just take it small bites at a time but um, I, I know that that is something that I've heard so many people be like oh my gosh it's changed my life it's so helpful mm-hmm. and the other thing is like we don't know how stressed we are we are until we kind of really unplug I always feel that way when I go on vacation and how it takes me a couple days to really um, let my guard down of the routine of my life and that's also why I love you know, whenever we go on trips, or whether it be with the podcast, and we're kind of working, it still feels like you're away from your life. And you can can really unplug. And that's when I really notice the stress go down, I can like physically notice the change in my body.
2: Yeah. And one thing I think is, is um, important to, to try is like right now, what are what is your body doing? you're probably have like your, your shoulders are up towards your ears and you know, you're maybe a little bit like your muscles are a little bit tense. You know, that's kind of how we are. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that mindfulness says is it just teaches you just, and it's not even like, don't do that. It's just like, Hey, be aware. Are you breathing right now? And how is your breathing or what is your body doing right now? And try to relax your shoulders for a second. And even just that can actually make such a big difference.
0: Yeah, I took wow. a um, compassion fatigue course, God, forever and ever ago, and it was a lot about professionals and behavioral health and how you can get really burnout. out, and they had us go through this whole curriculum of relaxing your body and how we are always in fight or flight, we're never really mm-hmm. relaxed, um, and one of the main tells of your body always being in fight or flight is that you're constantly clenching your pelvic floor and Mm. so he had us go through this whole process of like you know kind of like this meditation almost of like expanding and releasing all the muscles down there and like doing the almost kind of doing like kegel exercises but
2: kegels yeah but,
0: but trying to mindfully or just be aware that you, when you feel stressed, like check in with your pelvic floor muscles because if they're clenched, you're in fight or flight. And so ah. um, if you really try to relax that part of your body, and um, there are people out there who don't know what that means, and so that's also a piece of, um, I think, trauma. If people are really stressed and or have a trauma that they don't know how to feel that, then that they should probably see a therapist or a practitioner to help guide them through that or a physical therapist. But I thought that was fascinating because I found myself whenever I was really anxious to give a presentation or anxious at work, I would just go through that exercise of really trying to do Kegels and focus on that relaxation and try to stay relaxed um, so then my body wouldn't trigger into fight or flight.
2: It was pretty fascinating. That's really cool because I just did that when you were t- telling me about it and my whole body relaxed. Isn't that interesting? You before, can tell yeah.
0: And the cool thing was he had us, I mean, there's so much more to it. I'm really kind of simplifying it just for the sake of podcasting. But um, I, I'd encourage people to really look into that more of just the meditations you can do around pelvic floor relaxation and making sure that you you know aren't walking around your life clenched every 2 seconds you know so i mean kegels are great i'm sure your pelvic floor is strong but it can also be really harmful in terms of triggering that fight or flight and then triggering triggering your stress response
2: yeah definitely that makes a lot of sense yeah that's
0: really cool. So I will continue to work on my tools of trying to reduce my <laughs> stress. Um, but that's really important reminder. Cause I think that um, it sounds so simple, but it's so true. It's not, and it's, it's not simple. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to commit to, right? Mm.
2: Especially, you know, um, women with our type of personality are kind of go, go, go. And it's hard to stop and relax. But it's just really important. And I'm working hard to try to make myself do it. It doesn't come naturally by any means.
0: Okay, well, that's good to know, because you're the expert and you're still working on things. So I, I really appreciate that honesty.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You're always I mean, I'm always working on my
0: health. Yeah, too. I mean, yeah. Definitely. What are the things that you're working on right now?
2: Um, definitely mostly, um, you know, personal growth with learning to relax. You know, mm-hmm. definitely have, I've had, a, you know, battles with anxiety for a very long time. And when I first had anxiety, I was in college and I was getting really bad blood sugar drops and I didn't realize it. And that's what brought on my anxiety mm-hmm. and so I struggled with that, and, and it, turn, it would turn into a panic attack. I struggled with that for years until I learned about blood sugar, um, so that's why I eat so often but um, but you know if I, if I'm out and I don't have food, I can easily go into a panic attack from um, from not having food and I mean, I literally get to where I, I can't even like move my lips oh, so. Wow. Yeah, it's really scary. So it's it's something that I'm always conscious of, trying to make sure I have food with me. Um, I, you know, I take glutamine, which can be really helpful for that. But that's probably the thing that I struggle with the most because I I don't always, you know, sometimes you're out longer than you think, and I'm not going to go to McDonald's because I would just make me feel worse. So I think that that's probably probably my biggest struggle, and you know, just trying to reduce stress because. You know I have three kids. They own a business. I wrote a book. I'm finishing my second book. Like I have a lot going on. and I tend to just go, 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 go. but then i I experience stress as getting sick. So yeah. I, you know, just have to be really careful with what I eat and you know what I expose myself to environmentally and what I put on my body. And I'm just, you know I'm sensitive. and and that's why I'm so, you know, I'm so vocal about perfume because I realize what it's like to be affected by other people's perfume or or whatever it is,
0: you know, getting an Uber and there's like tons of air freshener in your oh, face. I hate that. I hate that yeah. so much. Yeah. And I think you nailed it too, is we all have to be mindful of what we're sensitive to. And it doesn't hurt to start to kind of strip away some of these things, which you cover a lot in your book as well. Kind of like, all right, so try all of this and then see how you feel. And there's no harm in that. You know, like some people may not be super sensitive to this product or that product. But um, I think what you're saying too, is just be aware of the things that could be kind of tipping the scale to making you feel crappy. Exactly. Yeah. Now I have one last question and then we can wrap up is a lot of the talk that I've heard in the past few years is that, you know, exercise is a stress on the body. And so women have a tendency to overdo it uh, and really kind of screw themselves, so to speak. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and your thoughts on over exercising or exercise in general and what what females should be doing optimally?
2: I think everyone should be exercising
0: in some format.
2: Um, And I think that your body is really good at telling you what is good for you and what is not when it comes to exercise. You know, I think if you exercise and you feel good after, that's a good exercise for you. I think if you exercise and you feel really depleted after, it's not what your body's really going to handle well at this moment. And you may be able to do it later. So I actually, in in the book, I put a whole infographic on this because when some people are very exhausted and very, you know, maybe um, walking, swimming, yoga, Pilates, even bar classes, that type of stuff is better. And then once you're healing and you have energy back and then you can try all sorts of stuff. I mean, I talk about CrossFit. I've, you know, worked with many patients who do CrossFit and I just talk with their instructors and they're willing to modify everything for them. So that's what's really good about CrossFit is you can do those modifications. You know, HIIT training, Tabata training, it, some people do really well with that and some people can't handle it. So I think you just have to try at least walking if you're, if you're tired, at least getting out. And you will probably notice you do get more energy than you would if you took a nap. Um, and then you should try kind of always challenging yourself a little bit, but not pushing it to the point. Because what happened with me was I was a runner and I was running a lot and I was gaining more and more weight. Well, it was because my cortisol was high. So when you're when you're running, you are raising your cortisol. And if my, your cortisol is already high, that's when people start to gain weight from, you know, overtraining.
0: Right. All right. So it goes back to we don't have to kill ourselves in workouts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no bad I mean, I guess it it does sometimes people just like to do it for the fun of it. But there's no badge of honor to be like, you know, laid out on the floor every day, every time you do a workout, but do it to feel energized.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you feel a little tired for a few minutes after that, I mean, that's normal. But if you're depleted, I mean, I, you know, I couldn't, I got to the point where I was so depleted and it wasn't what I was normally used to feeling. And I knew, okay, I shouldn't be doing this because this is really making my body worse. So I think your, your body is just really good at letting you know, giving you those signals.
0: Lovely. So, people out there listening, you know what to do. Listen to your body. But I know a lot, I, I say that lightly, but I know a lot of people are like, I don't even know what that means. And I don't even know where to begin. So, I'm glad we kind of got into a lot of the details. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing?
2: So, my website is drbeckycampbell.com. And um, my book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all over the place in bookstores. And then I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, at Dr. Becky Campbell.
0: Lovely. Well, thank you so much. This has been really helpful, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it and got some help out of this and all the great questions that were submitted. So, thank you again for being on the show. Well, thank you guys so much for having me.